CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! If anyone here is into those reality shows on TV where doctors look at really gross things with patients, well, have I got a show for you. Live from the award-winning TLC show, My Feet Are Killing Me, Dr. Brad Schaefer joins me to talk about all the things related to feet. But more than that, Brad is a genuinely amazing human being. His story is extraordinary long before he became famous on TLC. Raised in a rural area, with a very conservative family, he struggled with his sexual identity his entire life. And he found his true self only recently and decided very bravely and very publicly to come out to America about who he really is. Rest assured, there's plenty of conversation about feet and all the things that come with talking about feet. But there's way more to learn about who this man is, what he does, what he stands for, and why you shouldn't just go watch the show because the show is pretty cool. My daughter's a huge fan, but he's very passionate. He cares about people, and he's practicing Hippocrates every single day. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only from TLC's My Fear to Killing Me, Dr. Brad Schaefer. Enjoy the show. Dr. Brad Schaefer, welcome to Out of Patience. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. As a successful podiatrist, you are not out of patience. There are a plenty in your practice. Uh, I want to see many more and help many more people. So uh, long future here, hopefully. So my first question is, why feet? <laughs> it is probably the number one question that I get asked and then I have to answer. I would say... Um, feet need love just like the rest of our body. And I grew up, you know, playing a lot of sports. Uh, that being said, I had a ton of foot issues. So I always grew up getting my ankles taped before games, um, and different things like that. So I always knew that there was a need for, for foot help out there. A lot of people think I have a foot fetish and so do a lot of podiatry people in this world, but, uh, no, 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 I don't have a foot fetish and I don't think a lot of podiatrists do, but maybe some. Maybe some, but uh, no, it's it's really just a passion for the body. And it's, I think, one of the most critical parts of our body and it needs some love. Most people probably don't know you were a sports athlete. They know you for your TV presence and your your doctorhood. I was reading up as I stalked you um, yeah. about all the work that you've done, you know, in, in high school and college. You are like a pretty much a pro athlete. Oh man, I wish I was more of a pro athlete. When I, when I went to college, um, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. So I went to college to play baseball. And then before that, I played like basketball, soccer, and baseball in high school. Um, but I wasn't good enough to go any further. But I certainly had a lot of fun doing it. My dad was my coach. My grandfather kept score. You know, so I had one of those like classic families. 
I saw in some of the writing like you were like a Lenny Dykstra fan. Yeah. Good old Southpaw. Yeah. Lenny Dykstra was, um, yeah, my childhood favorite player um, just because of how hard he played. Um, he hustled like crazy. They called him Nails. Pete Rose also um, is a, a huge fan favorite of mine. It just so happens that they're two, probably two of the not best people in the world, <laughs> but their hustle and um, and baseball playing skills were uh, what I've really looked up to. Yeah, like like pick your poison. Yeah, I <laughs> guess talent so. versus yeah. reality. Yeah, seriously. So Lenny Dykstra was a hero of mine with Gary Carter and Dwight's. Right? I'm sorry, Dwight. Uh, Dwight Gooden. Dwight Gooden and yeah, Daryl Strawberry. Yep. But I gave up on sports when they won in '86 because mm-hmm. I knew they'd never win again. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope you're. I hope you're right because I'm a Phillies fan. Okay. Yeah, I saw that too. So, yeah. so even though you had Lenny Dykstra fetish, wait, he did he go to the Phillies? Uh yeah. So Lenny went to the Phillies after the Mets. So besides our love of Lenny Dykstra, mm-hmm. um, I lived in Hoboken. Oh, no, that's a fun fact. Back when you took your life in your hands yeah. in the late 90s. But you went to school there? <laughs> I heard it was bad. No, I went to residency there. Uh, I went to uh, medical school at Temple, Temple University School of Podiatric Medicine in Philadelphia. Um, and then residency, I went to Hoboken University Medical Center. Now it's CarePoint Health. Um, and I live there to this day. I um, love Hoboken and... Yeah, just huge fan of the area. So I was there in the late 90s before it got pretty. Right. And back when the Hoboken Clamberoth house, those are all the, the uh, pinky ring wearing uh, questionable gentlemen would gather on the weekends to discuss where to bury a body. So that's not there anymore. That got, that got taken down. I went there also a few times, but I, I never saw the pinky ring wearing gentlemen. So the trivia question, have you eaten at Benny Tudino's? I have. Uh, they have the biggest uh, pizza slice in Hoboken. They used to have a contest where if you could finish two pies on your own, they give you a third for free. Oh my gosh, that's like what's that? Man vs. Food? Not your show. Yeah, man. I would. <laughs> I would say not worth it. Yeah, that would kill your insides. You ever get the? Um, but you don't look like a podiatrist. What does a podiatrist look like? Exactly. <laughs> I just go back to like whatever the Steve Martin little shop of horrors. If he was a podiatrist, sure, sure. All right. No, I definitely could understand that. I mean, I think like throughout the years, um, you know, doctors can become a little jaded with with different things. But um, yeah, I I try to practice what I preach. And that's really about in health and wellness and, you know, try to to aspire people to just be the best version of themselves. And um, when they're sitting, you know, in a treatment chair and looking at me, trying to tell them like to get up and running and exercise and live the quality of life that they deserve. I mean, I want to I want to rep that. So try to keep up with myself. Do you think most people understand that you're also a surgeon? Are there podiatrists that do not do surgery? Yeah, man. Podiatry uh, back in the day was called chiropody. Um, So you would like take care of nails, calluses, you know, warts and different things like that. And then over time, it, it grew so much to where that's all we're trained to do is surgical reconstructive residency programs. And then if you decide after that to not be a surgeon, that's your choice. Um, But everyone needs to go through a surgical residency program to become a podiatrist. How quickly did you adapt to the smell of formaldehyde while doing anatomy? (laughs) That never bothered me. Um, Yeah, it it can smell. It it can smell. But you you get used to that pretty quick. And for some reason, that never bothered me. The smell of um, pus and infection 
buddy, that's that still bothers me. That's a rough. That's a rough. Smell. It's a good thing this is an audio experience. Yeah, <laughs> like smell vision. Yeah, no, no one wants to be smelling that right now. So I suppose you don't really have a fear of blood or needles, or did you when you overcome it because of your job? No, that's a good question. No, my whole life I've never had an issue with um, blood or if anyone hurt themselves. Like I was, I was able to be there and try to help them out. But yeah, no, no issues with that. But it's a thing. All right. So let's channel. You're a '90s kid, right? Not an '80s kid. Yeah, '83. I was born. Okay, so, so kind of so, '80s and '90s. You're going to be 40 soon. Yeah. Are yeah. you prepared? Yeah, I guess so. You know, I I always say. You know, age really is just a number, depending on how well you take care of yourself and stuff. You know, if you don't have any major injuries or anything, you know, you can really stay young for a very long time. But thank you. <laughs> Thanks it's for like, letting me what know. What products do you use? Yeah. <laughs> Not a sponsor yeah. of the show. Yeah, hair pills, right? So let's get into probably why most people give a shit that I'm talking to you, which is you're a fucking TV star. <laughs> Where did that come from? Can we curse on this show? Oh, by all means. This is, <laughs> this is rated R all, all right, the way. Awesome. Yeah, so for, for probably about three or four years now, uh, there's a show on TLC called My Feet Are Killing Me, uh, and I'm one of the featured doctors, doctors on that show. And we treat everything from like crazy bunions to like almost looks like horns are growing out people's feet, uh, and those are really just you know, corns and calluses and, and nails that look like Guinness Book or World Record style. But yeah, the show's been awesome, super humbling, and um, we're doing a lot of good out there. So hopefully it just keeps resonating. Why do people wait 30 years to go to a doctor? Don't they realize like, if I can't walk for like seven years, I should probably see a doctor? Yeah. You know, listen, I, I agree with you. My, uh, my, my ex-boss used to say, time, fear, and money. So people don't necessarily have the time. They have a lot of fear. And sometimes, you know, financials are an issue. And sometimes they just don't know if, if their condition is able to be treated. Now, with a show like this, you're able to see people that have probably have the same issue as you and can see how well it is treated. And then they want to get it taken care of. So, all right, that makes sense. Yeah. And without spilling any secrets from your showrunners, like how do you select who gets on the show? Is it really a contest of which is going to be just more disgusting? So it's it's a pretty rigorous um, routine. So they, they, they apply to the show and we'll do video calls and different things like that. And then once the patient is chosen, then we'll do a call with the patients also to make sure that we are able to treat it on TV. Once everything checks out with, you know, their medical history and we know that the patient's going to be good, you know, then we have them, fly them in, and then we do everything pro bono. So they're they're getting care that, you know, they wouldn't necessarily get, put them up in a hotel and stuff, do the surgery and follow them throughout all their post-op care plan. And um, it's been a great experience. Uh, no knock on wood, no, no real complaints yet. Did the show exist before you and Dr. Ebony were there or you were the first two and the only two that they said, we got to get these two people to be the stars of this show? So the success of uh, Dr. Pimple Popper, or Dr. Sandra Lee, uh, she was really just doing big things in the derm space. And I think what a lot of networks were looking for was kind of like, what is next? And feet are kind of just as wild and exciting, some sexy, you know, some disgusting, um, but it's feet, you know, and it's, it's really intelligent how they, you know, figured it all out, but they kind of found then two doctors that 
I, I think they thought were marketable, West Coast, East Coast, you know, different things. And uh, they invited us to film a pilot. And it was really just blind faith saying like, oh, yeah, they're not really going to use us or anything and um, really going to treat our profession right and the patients right. And once we really went down the rabbit hole more, it was like a marriage made in heaven, honestly, with Renegade Productions, TLC, myself and Ebony. I assume you've met her in person. Yeah, she's great. Give the illusion that you like never see, you're in each other's like coastal hyperbaric chambers. Yeah. You know, just because she's from Cali and I'm from here. But no, we we see each other a good bit, uh, talk to each other more, text and phone calls, different things like that. Sometimes we'll like bounce patient ideas off of each other while filming. But yeah, I mean, if we were closer, we'd hang out more, but you know, just logistically. Every now and then you have to like call on a lifeline. Yeah. And someone else has to come in. Like, do you just need the, the the sort of the peer advice or like, is there anyone better than Brad or is it different specialties? How does it work? I uh, mean, you can definitely learn from anyone, but uh, there, there's another uh, doctor that's featured on the show. Her name's Dr. Sarah Holler, and she's like one of my best friends. I mean, still even to this day. So during surgery and different things, I'll always utilize her in my surgeries and she'll utilize me in her surgeries too, just because we're so close to each other. And we really work well together. So, yeah, we do that easily every surgery that we do on the show. But in in real life, um, I work in New York City and she works in New Jersey. Clearly, you know, there's a lot of like um, cliffhanger bait on this show, right? They might dive and do this. Like, we'll be right back after the break. Right? Yeah. It's like death and destruction to the planet after these messages. <laughs> yeah. And that's and that's what's so great about the production team. And what they put together. I mean, you want to keep people on the edge of their seat and, you know, that keeps them there. But yeah, there are a lot of dicey moments, I mean, in surgery and the risks are real and sometimes it can be super scary. So, you know, we really just try to maintain a lot of poise, relax and get the job done. Do you belong to, like, is there like an American podiatric society, a professional society in this country? Yeah, there's a couple of them. I'm, I'm a, I belong to the American Board of Foot and Ankle Surgery. Um, and then there's other ones like American Board of Medicine, Podiatric Medicine, different things like that. So my question is, you know, all these, I work in, obviously I work in oncology and health tech and whatnot. All these emerging new devices, are you part of the, the I mean, device development companies? You they, Do they need folks like in your category to get in there? Oh, this is not going to work. This is going to work. Um, I haven't been approached by anyone like that, but I'd be more than happy to do that in the future. I'm doing a lot of work with this company right now. It's called Treese Medical, and they developed uh, this like 3D lapoplasty procedure. Um, they can really like fix a bunion better than ever before by like correcting it in a, in a 3D plane rather than a 2D plane. That's probably what I'm most passionate about right now, just because I just love what they did. I put in a lot of hours to be trained on it. And uh, yeah, so anybody that needs bunion surgery, come see me. I, I got a new technique for you. Yeah, that's my whole point is there's always emerging technology, you know, waving in the woods. We've come a long ways in ether and amputations of the Civil War. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, every 10 years, it just seems like things advance. Um, I know my dad's trying to get his knees done. He's waiting for like the next knee to come out or like the next implant. But now's the time. I mean, it's it's a great time to do stuff like that. And especially with foot surgery, like we really are at the top of our game right now. And um, there's a lot of great things out there. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Dr. Brad Schaefer. 
stick around where from these messages from, I don't know, the electric company, three, two, one contact. No, no, you're, you were DuckTales yeah. from DuckTales. Life is like a hurricane. <laughs> Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, so let's get real. Let's get serious. And, I mean, this has been very public. Anyone can just Google your name and see the top SEO search results. You struggled with identifying as a kid. You had uh, some realizations in the past couple of years. And yet here we are in 2023 or 2022, and you had to officially come out in the media. Like, good for you. right? Ellen was fired in 1997 for being actually gay instead of playing just a gay woman. right? Why have we come so far and yet this was such a big deal? You know, I think growing up, I don't think I know, but I, I always knew that I was gay. But, you know, society, in my opinion, didn't necessarily, you know, accept that at that time. Um, I do a big thing with like there's a big difference between accepting and understanding. Um, so I talk to my family and friends and different people all the time. It's like, you know, you have to accept people. Yeah, don't get me wrong. But, you know, just take the time to understand them a little bit. So my whole life was just really about, you know, accepting and understanding myself and not being labeled and put in the boxes that, you know, I kind of fit into. It was like this straight Christian athlete, you know, white male, you know, that, you know, was everything that I was embodying at that time. Went to a Christian university, played baseball, got married to my wife at the time. Um, so really just try to fit into those boxes. And when life just kind of comes at you a little bit and you grow up, you realize that you don't really belong in the boxes that society placed you in. So once you have a little more confident and you feel good about yourself, you know, you're able to, you know, understand better. Um, so when I got, well, when I became a little more enlightened to everything, you know, unfortunately I had to get divorced, but, you know, my wife at the time didn't belong in that box. So it was a great thing. We're still best friends to this day. So I came out like 10 years ago. No, easy. 
But then with the success of the TV show, we never talked about any of that stuff, nor our personal lives on the TV show. So a lot of assumptions were just like the assumptions that when I was younger, straight, athletic, white male, doctor, whatever, is now on a TV show. But I always had to ask the question, or the question was always asked, like, where's his wife or, you know, where's his partner? It's like, well, we don't really talk about that stuff on the TV show. It's always about the patients. So once the narrative started getting uh, switched up a little bit in the media, I just thought it was time, you know, to just say like, yeah, I I never said I was gay or straight in media, but now is the time because you guys are the one that's saying I'm, you know, straight again, you know, so I just figured it needed to be clarified. I mean, did you have to go to the network first and say, is this okay? And did they like, we have to do a whole PR campaign around this? <laughs> no, no, no. TLC or Renegade Productions, the, the whole team, no one ever cared about that, nor did we script anything around that. It was all about just the patients and our personal lives were never really featured on that. Like I was on a um, reality TV show with Dwayne Johnson. It was called The Titan Games. And we had some personal you know, stuff in there, like where I grew up, what sports did you play, different things like that. But it really didn't dive into anything, nor, nor is it a topic. And I think that's what the evolution of society is, is, you know, no one really does. A lot of people still do care. And unfortunately, it is still freaking important. Um, so although, yeah, no one should care anymore. Yeah, we all get that. But I think it's important to see, you know, somebody that's, you know, in a different way, not what society labels as a gay man in the media. And I think I'm a little different than what society views as a gay guy. And I'm cool with it. I, I hope that I can help people that never saw themselves in, you know, someone else and sees themselves in me. So does that mean you've gotten, but you don't look gay? <laughs> yeah, look or act gay, I guess. Um, so my response always is that as what a gay guy look, you know, or act like, but it's, it's exactly what is portrayed. It's, it's the characters, it's the stereotypes on TV and cartoons and, you know, everything, uh, you know, so I'm sure if, you know, you say, what is, what's your stereotype of this person or that person or this religion or that race, everyone could draw a cartoon of it. It's the same thing of gay, straight, lesbian, whatever. You could draw a cartoon of it. And it's it's literally just the way we're scripted to think of that. And it's it's sad. So everyone's placed in the boxes and it's total bullshit. So we're big fans of the Golden Girls. It's like the endless sieve of Golden Girls yeah, in true. our house every night. There's an episode. And we watched the pilot episode like a couple of days ago. And they had a gay housekeeper oh, nice. on the pilot. No one knew. It's like when the Cosby launched, they had four kids. They needed five. They right. forgot one of them. Right? Because he had five kids in real life. Sure. But Sophia called him the fancy man. She <laughs> right. went, where's the fancy man? Where's the fancy man? I mean, anyone listening can just go Google the pilot of Golden Girls. And they had a, a gay housekeeper. They sure. got rid of him in the when they started the real season. Because right. the network's like, we don't, we don't want this. Right. Oh, that's so wild. I, I didn't know any of that. But I know um, I know the Golden Girls are big amongst the, uh, the gay community. <laughs> that, that's one thing I haven't gotten into yet. I read that you first came out to your dad. Yeah. Can you talk about your father? Yeah, sure. My dad's great. Still really close to this day. He was literally like my best friend growing up. Um, we were at a Phillies game, drinking some beers, throwing the football around a little bit. And, you know, now nah, it took me a while to get to this point, but maybe 10 beers also. But I you know, finally came out to him, 
and just let him know, like, hey, I'm gay, and that was it. And, you know, after a few tears and stuff, we kept drinking beers and, you know, threw the football somewhere. It wasn't a big deal. Um, his brother his brother was gay also, and he's you know, obviously still gay to this day, not was, present tense. And he has a partner of many, many years. So um, it's not like it's left field in our family. That's the odd fortune you faced. Like you weren't under possible what's wrong with you, stop being gay. I mean, these are things I have many, many friends in high school in the 80s who dated girls. And you could just tell they were struggling. They were they were really upset. I was the theater major. And I was like the straight guy in right. theater in undergraduate. And like, yeah, I'm, look, I'm from New York. Like, we, we just don't care. Just don't be a jerk. Right, the only totally. Care about. Yeah. And you could just see the struggles. And this was the height of HIV. Mm-hmm. And this is, again, Ellen getting fired was like the worst possible thing. We're yeah. still fighting for the for AIDS rights. Yes. Um, and then there was cancer with AIDS. All these things were just boiling up in the late 90s. So how did culture impact you then? You know, because again, you're a 90s kid, but what media did you consume? What TV shows, what movies did you watch? Like, did any of that give you a better sense of your identity? Uh, I guess, honestly, the answer to that is no, because, you know, in my opinion and my, you know, recollection of that time, there was not really too much out there, especially that I was, you know, watching. You know, the 80s were very scary, so I was like, you know, eight or nine before the nineties hit, but it was into the nineties, you know, before we really started acting up or, you know, different things like that, you know, to where we started standing up for ourselves in a way that, cause no one else was. Now I don't remember those times, but when I look back and, you know, Larry Kramer was at the forefront of the movement in New York city and really progressing our knowledge of what this was, you know, we needed to fight for ourselves because not really many people were. People stood up for COVID pretty quickly because everyone in the world was dealing with it. But as far as HIV and AIDS are concerned, no one really took too much time to dedicate to fixing this ASAP. So it was wild back in the day. It was out of fear, really, that a lot of people didn't come out. I'm sure when you were in theater, it was due to fear. But me being in the 90s and stuff, uh, you know, I wasn't involved in that, so to speak. The Ellen thing, I do remember... That was crazy. But no, man, it just was not in front of you. So you just had to deal with it on your own. I don't want to skip over your uncle, who you mentioned is gay. And when you came out to your dad, was he in that conversation? Was he wrapping himself around the love and support you needed right then? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, even during that time, you know, when my uncle would bring around his partner, it would be like you'd be bringing around his business partner, you know, so it would always be, you know, Izzy, maybe no one knows, don't ask, you know, kind of like within like the military, it's like, don't ask, don't tell. And that's just sad because it brings me back to my whole thing is like, there's a big difference between accepting and understanding. So yeah, my family's definitely come a long way, you know, and my uncle is awesome. Like we used to hang out all the time, go on different vacations and stuff together. And I mean, I just saw him this week, this past weekend, you know, for, for a holiday. So no, he's an integral part of my family. And I think it brought him and his brother a lot closer too, um, because the appropriate questions started getting asked rather than just accepted. And to have that dialogue is everything, whether it be with friends, family, coworkers, just to have open dialogue. It's it's honestly one of the reasons why I came out publicly last year is because I just felt like 
the dialogue needed to continue um, with the don't say gay bill and, you know, different things like that. Yeah, we've progressed a lot. There's been so much progression. But yeah, there, there, there are people that want to put you back, you know, in a closet or again, don't ask, don't tell, just shut up. You know, it's like, give me a break. What, what am I hurting you? Well, this episode is not sponsored by the state of Florida. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if this has happened a decade ago, you know, there were no comments sections back then. Do you read the comments sections? Uh, I do not. Does someone read the comments sections? <laughs> uh, no. No, I let all that ride. It, in my social media and just like, um, you know, work world and stuff, I, I just put out there what I put out there. And most of it's just like positivity, um, health and wellness type stuff and I don't really, I don't really get into the weeds with too much negativity and a lot of people don't give it back to me either. So my big thing right now is, is, uh, is catfishing, you know, catfishing as everyone should know what catfishing is, but a lot of people use people's pictures or different things on social media and they lure women into getting money and taking money and it's different rings and like different other countries and different things like that. But that's my biggest thing right now. So the only negativity with all of that um, is catfishing. So social media needs to do something about that. All right. So let's go back to the operating room. How do they sterilize the cameras? <laughs> yeah, they just stand back from a safe distance um, and make sure they're not anywhere near there. So it's sterile if you're at a safe distance. Has anyone like dropped a camera while you're inside somebody taking out an <laughs> important body part? No, my gosh, that would be nuts. Um, I'd have to block it and use some of my old baseball skills. <laughs> Thankfully, that has not happened. So I guess you've had to adapt to them being in the room while you're doing this and not getting distracted, right? They have to maintain absolute silence. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, in the in the OR, usually we're in there like talking to colleagues or listening to some music. Like it's not always just beeps of the heart, you know, that in silence. So yeah, they can be in there and, and chatting. It's really, it was getting used to like, how are you feeling right now in this moment, Dr. Schaefer? It's like, I'm feeling good. Why don't you leave me alone right now? <laughs> because I'm focused, you know, but you know that it's for a TV show and you know, you have to discuss how you're feeling internally, uh, what's going on in the foot. Are there any complications? And then you just realize that that is just part of you know, this procedure. And I kind of like it. You know, you talk about your feelings in real time, the stresses, struggles, why you're sweating. <laughs> then there's like the confessionals in between that you have to shoot separately afterwards, I assume, and they have to help you remember what happened and script it a little bit. Yeah. So we, we film those like at the end of a, a shoot week or something. So they'll set you down and yeah, then you have to relive in real time, speak in present tense, you know, and different things like that. So that's interesting. But the the team's so good where the, they help you out through all that. Let's do a quick lightning round wrap up on the uh, skeevometer. Okay. Because I've read, you know, some of your favorites, some of your most disgusting. Like, can you pick the Mount Rushmore? I mean, people can find the episodes, I assume. But do you have a personal Mount Rushmore of why do I do this job? <laughs> there was a guy, um, I, I say it all the time, but he literally was like that person in my mind. He... He had like barnacles on the bottom of his feet, almost like on a ship. And I needed to take a blade. I went through like 10, 15 blades, just getting all these calluses, quote unquote, or masses off the bottom of this guy's foot. 
And he had a condition, you know, that was left untreated for a very, very long time. And it sucks that he was dealing with that. So he walked around with that shame and pain for his whole life. And it took me a very long time to get off all that shame and pain. So hopefully he's doing well right now. Big shout out to that guy. I haven't haven't talked to him in a while. Some patients you kind of lose touch with because you don't have their their numbers and stuff from this, the production. Do you feel like the amputations are a loss or a gain? Because that must be the hardest part of your job. I think the consult and discussing with patients that that's the only treatment option. Um, but if you have a mass like the size of a bowling ball on the front of your foot where you can't walk, you can't run, jog, whatever, and then once you remove that painful issue, you're able to do whatever. Um, so it's a huge gain. Um I used to like doing those on the show because although you weren't reconstructing something back to like a perfect foot, the quality of life that those patients gained, I, th- I think were some of our most successful cases. But yeah, it's wild. Just like the dialogue, the tears, um, the surgery was pretty wild. Um, and yeah, sometimes you had to remove body parts to achieve that, but it's what medicine is. And final thought, you must be thrilled COVID is kind of over and you could return to seeing people in person without the masks or whatever precautions matter. Because I I can only imagine the stressors you had gone through while shooting during the pandemic. Yeah, COVID sucked. Um, we, we We had a COVID season where I was literally filming from like my upstairs um, while a pandemic was occurring. So they shipped us like equipment. I was shooting upstairs. It was hot at some points. I was like dripping sweat. I needed to be in like a shirt and tie. It was awful. Um, Then when we were allowed back into the offices and stuff, everyone wore masks. Then we had to wear masks when we were talking to patients. Like people are on the show to see your personality, your smile, your empathy and different things like that. And we're all covered up in masks. So I think that hurt the show a little bit too. But the relatability aspect of it, yeah, it, it didn't just hurt people in production, but it hurt a lot of patients, you know, along the way. Dr. Brad Schaefer, what was your degree? It's like, it's like, um, what are the, what's your acronym after your name? DPM. What does it stand for? Doctor of Podiatric Medicine. There you go. Dr. Brad Schaefer, DPM. The star of the hit TLC series, My Future Killing Me. What season are you in now? Four and a half. You're about to go and in, go into five. Well, pack me in your luggage. I'd love to be there and watch it in real real time. (laughs) Thank Thank you you so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to meet you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much for having me. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is an Offscript Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us. And we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com.